Today, I want to talk about something that I believe that, that I need to be reminded of and that we, especially as Americans, should be reminded of, and that is the idea of having a mindset that is geared towards eternity. Eternity. Because I, 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 I know for myself in my life, I can get focused on what's temporary and what's right here today and, and gone tomorrow. And in my pursuit to, to obtain the things and the, uh, the, the objects that I'm striving for, I will pursue those things so hard that I will neglect to pursue eternal things. I will neglect to pursue my relationship and to develop and to deepen my relationship with God. And I will uh, fail to look around at the people around me and, and see them how Jesus sees them with an eternal perspective. Instead, most of us Americans, we look at people as objects for our benefit. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, I can, I can make a deal with this person. Last week we talked about covenant and how God made covenant partnership with people. And most of the time in our humanity, we'll make a partnership with another person as long as it benefits me. But whenever it comes to looking at someone with God's perspective, that eternal perspective, I think, I think so many of us, we, we kind of just, that, that's not our priority. That's not our focus. And so today I want to talk about this a little bit more and with the idea of this, that we as Christians, as believers, we should put so much more of our focus on what's eternal. We should start investing in what's eternal. And I'm not saying, and through the point of this, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about money, and, and if, you, if this is your first time to church in a long time, you may think, well, of course he's talking about money. Every church I've ever been to, that seems to be all they talk about is money. But let me tell you the truth. A third of what Jesus preached in the New Testament wasn't necessarily on the subject of money, but he used money to teach us about what's going on on the inside of us. Why is that? It's because so many of us are so tied to our bank accounts that we find it hard to, to think eternally because all we're doing is thinking about right now. We're thinking about five years. We're thinking about retirement. We're thinking about what's coming up and how can I make my life better as I move forward. Can I encourage you today, though, to start investing in eternal things. Start investing in people's souls. Start investing in the word of God. Start if you're a parent, start investing in your children, getting them to understand this book, this wonderful book, and what it means and the purposes and the benefits behind reading it. We need to have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Um, how many of y'all this, is, this might hurt somebody's feelings a little bit today. I'm sorry if it does. Um, <laughs> can anybody tell me what these are right here? Beanie Babies. If you were alive in the 1990s, this is all that was going on back then. <laughs> This is it. There was nothing else happening. In the, I mean, the 1990s, just, they were just smooth and, and easy sailing and beanie babies. I mean, that's, 
you might have had a different perspective. I was a kid in the 90s, uh, so at least that was my perspective of it. Um, but we, we've, <laughs> I asked Emily, I was like, I need some Beanie Babies this morning. So she, she brought me some, some Beanie Babies. We've got a little collection here. Um, but if you went to town, went to almost any store, you could find Beanie Babies for sale. And they, the, this company that came up with this, I'm telling you, marketing geniuses, absolutely brilliant. They're like, here, we'll, we'll start, we'll make a partnership with McDonald's. We'll get these put in every Happy Meal. And McDonald's is like, hey, I'm all for that. These people are crazy. They're buying these things like, like, they're, like each one is going to make them a millionaire. And, uh, and so they started putting these in Happy Meals. And my, my own grandmother, I cannot tell you how many Happy Meals she ate to get these so that she could give them to us grandkids. And at, at the height of what was going on, like she was going to McDonald's every day and getting two or three Happy Meals and taking them to her neighbors, giving them the food so that she could just get the, the teeny beanie baby, right? I looked up online today, and they said that, they said that there's a couple that, have a little bit of worth, but the teeny beanie babies, they said they're basically worthless. They're not worth anything. We still got, they're still in the wrapper, still in wrapper, because you know the thing was, you know, don't bend the tags. If you bend the little tags on the ears, they're not going to be worth anything anymore, and you just blew your retirement right there, you know, just bent the tag, and now you can't retire. You're going to live a long life of hard labor, and, uh, and so, they, I mean, and they built the little protecting sleeves. Any of my 90s kids in here, you know, they built the protecting sleeves you put over the tags because you, you didn't want to bend them. And then they, they came out with the jewel cases, the, the little clear uh, uh, plexiglass boxes that you would, especially the bears. You put the bears in. We've got the, this one right here is one of the most popular ones right here. And they're like this. You're going to be a jillionaire if you get one of these. So everyone got one. And then once everyone had one, they really weren't worth money. Can I ask you a question? If you were, you know, my parents' age, what were you thinking? What? I mean, you know, basic economics is if there's high demand, the price will be higher. But if there is a, a flood of inventory, the price just isn't going to be that advantageous for you. And everyone is buying these up like crazy. This is right around the time where eBay became, I mean, this is probably how eBay got popular back in the day is, is selling Beanie Babies. And, and we looked at these things and we, we thought, I'm making an investment. I'm doing something that's going to be good for my children. And it's a toy, so they'll enjoy looking at it, but don't touch it. Don't take it out of the wrapper. Don't touch the tag. You can't play with it. And were any of y'all that, that were 90s kids or were kids in the 90s, were any of y'all the ones that just, I was the kid, I'm pulling that tag right off, I'm going to play with this thing, and my parents would be like, no! It was a little bit crazy, church. We get so caught up in what's right now. What kind of fat is there around me? What kind of opportunity is is right here in front of me that I can that I can insert myself my time my possessions my money my effort into this thing so that I can better my life 
in the future. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You should do that. I mean, the Bible talks about handling your money wisely and investing your money and not, not being frivolous in your spending. I understand that. But so much of our focus goes into this, that we forget to invest in what truly matters, in what will matter after this life is over. Can I encourage you today to invest in what's eternal? Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to be for most of the morning here, and we'll, we'll kind of jump back and forth through this in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, he preaches his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and a good portion of this sermon uh, refers back to money several times throughout this long sermon. And I'm not going to preach the whole sermon today. Jesus might have preached a little bit longer than me, if that's even possible. Uh, but I'm just going to take out a little portion of what he preached on that day on the Mount as he had followers that had come to him for wisdom and instruction. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. He says, don't, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in, come on, help me out. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Wow. Jesus keeps going. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you will either hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? What is he doing? He's saying you need to change your mindset. You need to gain a new perspective. And why worry about your clothing? Verse 28. Look at the lilies of the field. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I skipped a verse. You go to the verse 26. It says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Why? For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares, someone say God cares. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, 
What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Y'all, this next part hurts a little bit. It says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Can you imagine being there in that moment, sitting on a rock instead of a cushioned pew, out in the open air, as Jesus is probably standing on a rock that's tall enough for for everyone around to see, and so that his voice, he didn't have a microphone attached to his face. He had, to, he had to yell out so that people could hear that were both close and far away. Can you imagine being there in that moment and hearing Jesus say these things? It would probably shock your heart a little bit. It would probably give you a little jolt for a second. Because he's like, hey, don't worry about all these, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Well, Jesus it is kind of important that I eat and drink because if I don't, I will die, right? I mean, that's probably, they're thinking, he's like, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about what you'll wear. These things dominate the minds of unbelievers. I can imagine, I would think, oh, wow, was, was, am I an unbeliever? <laughs> like, ouch, that, that stings a little bit, Jesus. That, that doesn't feel right. But then I love how at the end of this little portion, he continues to preach after this, but at the end of what we just read, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Tomorrow will have its own worries. Today's trouble, that's enough for today. Can you imagine just that grace and that compassion of Jesus? And what he's telling the people that are there listening is this. You need to change your heart. You need to change your mind. And you need to change your level of faith because your God knows what you need. He loves you and he cares for you. So you should think more about eternal things because he's going to take care of the rest. Church, that's good. That's really good. That is re that's a good sermon. He's a good preacher. I really like Jesus. He's a wonderful preacher. Here's my point number one today. Where is my heart? Where is my heart? And I might say a couple of things this morning that might step on your toes a little bit. If it does, you can just pick your feet up off the floor for a second so it doesn't hurt too much. But how many of us are more focused on the last 20 and 30 years of our life than we are our eternity. Let me tell you, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where the desires of your heart will be. You can flip that around. Wherever the desires of your heart is, that's where your treasures are. This is what he's saying. Can I be real with you today? I can show you how much you think about eternity if you would show me your bank statement. Because where our treasures are, where we are putting our money, that's where our heart truly is. And if 
if all we're doing, if all I'm doing is just stockpiling as much as I can for the last 20 years of my life and my retirement so that I can just take it easy and just enjoy things, can I tell you what? We're missing out on a lot. We're going to be missing out on so much. Do you treasure material possessions? Because that's what your bank account will reflect. Do you treasure competition? Listen, I'm, I'm a parent that has a son that loves baseball, and so I was foolish enough to tell them that I would coach his team this year. And I've already, t- we haven't even had our first practice. Our first practice is tomorrow. We haven't even had our first practice, and I have parents, you know, messaging me and talking to me, and, and you know, we, we got to win. You know, we, we can't, <laughs> like, pushing us for, you know, every day of the week to be filled with baseball so that we can do good and succeed. And I know a lot of parents that put a lot of money into their kids' competitive nature. <laughs> but it's been a while since they sat down with their kid and said, hey, let's memorize a verse of Scripture together. Let's look about what the Bible says that God's standards for our lives should be. And we get so caught up in the little things, the, the little moments that, that, can I be honest with you, don't really matter in the long run. In case you haven't been reminded lately, eternity is eternal. <laughs> it's going to last for forever. <laughs> it makes sense to me to put more of my investment in what will be eternal than what is temporary. And I'm not saying, hey, uh, empty out your retirement account and uh, g- give it all to a missions organization. If God puts that on your heart, you better do it, right? That's not, I'm not giving you financial advice here this morning. What I'm saying is our minds should be geared more towards eternity. And whatever you treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. Last week we talked about Abraham and the covenant that God made with him, the partnership. Oh, that was good, church. That was, ooh, I love that, that God wanted to partner with us, with me. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It mentions a little bit about this covenant. It says, it was by faith, by faith, that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised to him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. God developed a partnership with Abram, and he would change his name to Abraham later, and he, one of the promises in this covenant was, Abram, this land that I want you to go to, this will be your inheritance. This will be the promised land where you and all of your children will live. And he brought Abram to this land, but he didn't give it to him yet. 
But Abram still believed. He left in faith. He arrived to that land and lived there in faith. And I want you to notice what it says next in verse 13, Hebrews 11, verse 13. It's talking about several different people of faith. It says, all of these people died. Someone say they died. They died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. Oh, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Here's why they lived by faith, even whenever they, I want, I want us to get this, church. They did not see the promise fulfilled. It did not happen in Abraham's lifetime. It didn't happen in his son's lifetime. It didn't happen in his grandson's lifetime. It didn't happen for many, many generations later. But it says this, that Abraham walked by faith, he lived by faith, and he died still believing these promises. Why? Who would be crazy enough to do that? It tells us Abraham did this. Why? Because he understood. Oh, this might shake someone's theology a little bit today. He understood that even if he didn't receive what God had promised him, it doesn't matter because he's not looking for the land of Canaan. Abraham was looking for the land of heaven where God's presence is. He understood that God's promise was not just for him, it was for his lineage and his seed. And one day God would fulfill that promise that he made to Abraham. But Abraham died, still believing it. And he did it, he, he left in faith, he lived in faith, and he died in faith because he understood that there is a better land, Woo! an eternal land, a city with eternal foundations. And so many of us, we want God's little promises. God, I've been praying for this car. God, I've been praying for this house. God, I've been praying for this financial blessing. And that's wonderful. Do that. Live in faith in that. But if you didn't receive it, would you be bitter? If you didn't receive what you had prayed for, would you be bitter or would you be able to live in faith knowing that, hey, even if I lost everything in this world, there's a heavenly homeland that God is calling me to. I'm just a foreigner here on this earth. I belong somewhere else. Abraham understood that. He understood that I am not built for Canaan. God built me for heaven. God built me for his presence. And if we would learn to just change the perspective of our hearts, get that down deep inside of us, ask, ask myself, Sam, where is my heart right now? Then I think that that would help us to change the way that we think about what's important. Now, I'm not saying don't invest in things. I'm not saying don't trade stocks. I'm not saying and you know, don't put things away for retirement. I'm not saying don't invest in your child's you know, sports or academic program. I'm not saying any of these things. Those are all wonderful things to do. But if that becomes our focus, if that becomes our priority, we are missing out on what is eternal. If we, if we were smart, we, 
I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not trying to get on to anybody. Like I said, if it hurts your toes, just pick them up a little bit. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. But if we were smart, we would begin to look at things differently and say, hey, I can invest in this. And this may bring me some amount of return in my lifetime. Or what I used, what I could use to invest in this, I could invest in people. I could invest in souls. I could invest in the church. I could invest in missions. I could invest in godly, eternal things so that one day, whenever I'm gone from here, these things aren't going to matter. They're all going to rot and decay anyway. But one day, my spirit is going to be caught up with Jesus. And I want as many people as I can to come with me there. And I'm going to make an eternal investment here that is going to pay dividends there. Now that is a wise investment. That's a good investment, a strong investment. Ooh. Oh, man, I'm a little fired up. I'm sorry, y'all. Mm. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. David, at this point, whenever he wrote this, this is one of the most famous portions of Scripture in the Bible. It's been quoted by millions, if not billions of people. It's been read at people's bedsides as they were taking their final breaths. It's been a source of encouragement and hope for people that are going through divorces and, and people that are going through bankruptcy and people that are going through all situations of life, losing a child or a, or a parent. And, and they look to this portion of Scripture as a, as a sense of, of hope and encouragement, and rightly so, because it's a good one. But David, whenever he writes this, he's a king, and he's older, and he's more mature, and he's wiser, and he's got the wealth, he's got the honor, he's got the power, he's got the influence. He has all of these things that we strive so hard and work so hard towards. And David, in that moment where he's got all of these things, he looks backwards to those days when he was a small, overlooked shepherd boy in a field watching after probably the world's dumbest animals. And he's remembering back to that time, and he's remembering what his role as a shepherd was, to provide for and to care for and to protect his sheep. And he's thinking back to this time, and he says, you know what, even back then, I was a shepherd of those sheep, but the Lord was a shepherd to me. He provided for me back then. He protected me back then. He cared for me back then. He washed my wounds back then. Back before I was a king, back before I had wealth, I had the shepherd and I had all I needed. This is a king, a powerful, influential man. And he said, and his, his mentality is this, if I lost all of this, I would still have all I need. Why? Because I know the presence of God. I know what it's like to live with the Lord. And if he is my shepherd, and I'm a sheep, possibly the world's dumbest <laughs> creature, 
I still don't have to be worried because he's going to care for me. He's going to protect me. He's going to provide for me. I have everything I need because I have him. And if we could adopt this mindset, as a believer, if I can adopt this mindset, that as long as I know Jesus, not just know about him, but as long as I know and have a relationship with the living God, then I have all I need. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat or drink or wear because he's going to supply all of my needs. Now, in contrast, David's son, Solomon, he was a king that we all know. He's a famous king. And what is he known for? His wisdom and... Anybody know? His wealth, his riches. He was known for both. He was wise, and God gave him incredible riches. Check this out in First uh, Kings chapter 10. Verse 14 it says, Each year Solomon received, as king, about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue that he received from merchants and traders and his stocks and investments. This didn't include all of the additional revenue that he received from other kings that they had dominated and other governments of the land that would bring gifts and, and pay taxes and just the gold alone, Solomon received 50,000 pounds every single year. The Bible tells us that Solomon reigned for 40 years. That's a lot of gold. It tells us each year he received 25 tons of gold, 50,000 pounds of gold each year. I did the math this week. I looked up the price of gold. I did it so you wouldn't have to. You can if you want to. You're welcome. Each year, Solomon was bringing in $1.3 billion of just gold. Just the gold. You add that up over 40 years, it's like over $50 billion just in gold that he brought in not including all the other investments. Now, you're talking about a God who can supply? A God who gives generously? Now, here's the problem, though. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, somewhere along the way, he got to looking at his possessions. He got to looking at his lifestyle, and he got distracted from the eternal things. It tells us that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines which is the Bible's fancy way of saying a woman who he's not married to that he enjoys the privileges of marriage with. A thousand people that Solomon is with. All of this money, all of this power. And look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. This is what Solomon says. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no Pleasure. If I wanted it, I had it. If I want a steak, I'm going to get a steak. If I want to eat steak every day, I'm going to get steak every day. If I want a, a, a cushiony place to rest, I'm going to get a cushiony place to rest. You want a cushiony place to rest? I'll get you a cushiony place to rest too. Uh, I, I need friends, so what am I going to do? I'm going to give my friends things so that they can have, you know, I can have some kind of social pool with them. 
two, and he denies himself no pleasure. He goes out and gets anything he wants, the finest horses, the finest servants, the finest foods, the riches of the land. He goes out and gets it, denies himself no pleasure. He says, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. Isn't that the American dream? To have everything I want, deny myself no pleasure. Look at the very next verse, verse 11. But as I looked at everything that I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Wow. How foolish of us to chase after these things, thinking that they will bring us fulfillment. Look at the wisest man that's ever lived, and he looks back at his life and all of his pleasures and wealth and, and things, and he says, it doesn't even mean anything to me. He goes on to say that since money and possessions and things didn't fulfill me, I started to to do work, and I started to build the kingdom, and I started to, to create infrastructure and good economy, and I looked at all of those things, and those things were meaningless too. Like chasing after the wind, it didn't fulfill me at all. And it gets even worse in verse 17, Ecclesiastes 2.17, he said, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling, everything is meaningless, like chasing after the wind. If Solomon had have had the mindset that his father had with all the wealth and riches. I can have anything that I want, but I will still be unfulfilled unless I know Christ, unless I have a relationship with God, unless I've got a future, a heavenly homeland. Everything here under the sun is meaningless. Church, we got to start making some internal investments. We got to change our hearts. Ask yourself, where is my heart? In this life, in my family, in my home, with my career, with my hobbies, where is my heart? Because maybe I'm not investing in what's really meaningful. Here's the second thing. What is my perspective? What is my perspective? I love Jesus in this sermon that he gives us, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Now, I'm a nature guy. I love nature. I love backpacking. I love the national parks. I love being outside. And Emily and the boys and I went and spent a little time with Brother Ken and Sister Melinda uh, this weekend at their cabin. And we, we were outside in the woods yesterday, and it was beautiful. And, and I just we, we did a little bit of fishing, let the, the boys catch some little fish. And it's just a wonderful time spent out in nature. I just love nature. And I love what, I mean, God, he points to nature so many times throughout Scripture saying, look at this, look at that, consider this. Why? To help us get a better understanding. And Jesus says, look at the birds. It, the bird isn't a squirrel. It's not going to go and get nuts and bring it back to its nest and, and store nuts for the winter. Birds just wake up and they go look for something to eat. And God provides for them. They don't work for it other than just going out and flapping around and landing and pecking the ground, I guess. But they're not worried 
about where their next meal will come from. And the reason why, my Bible tells me, is because our Heavenly Father sees them. And they are valuable to Him. And then Jesus says this, He says, if God takes care of a bird and thinks of a bird as being valuable, then how much more valuable are you to Him? It gives us the idea that he will take care of us, and we don't have to worry. Now, I'm not saying don't store back things for retirement or, or don't invest in earthly things, but certainly don't worry about those things either because God will supply your every need. He knows what you need before you ask him, and you are valuable to him. That is why. He will supply all that you need. He says, look at the grass of the field. He says, I clothe the grass in splendor. I, I, just, I just have this mental picture of God just like scattering out wildflower seeds in a meadow and just popping up. And what was once green and meadow-like is, is now full of color and vibrance and life. And you've got the insects and butterflies and bees and all of these things running around, you know, scurrying around, collecting pollen, and all of a sudden what was just once green and, and kind of just seemingly all the same, now it looks so different, so diverse, and so many colorful things and creatures. And he says this, if, if God cares enough for a field of grass, I love what Jesus is doing here. He's like, just in case you didn't think that you were more valuable than a bird, imagine a patch of grass. God's going to care for that patch of grass. If he's going to care for that patch of grass, how much more will he take care of your needs? How much more will he clothe you with beauty? What does he do? He refers back to Solomon. He said, even Solomon in all of his glory and splendor was not dressed as well as one of these flowers. That's the kind of God we serve. He is a good God. But I don't think we will ever carry that mentality in our lives if we don't understand how much God values us. How much God cares for us. You won't invest in eternity if you don't understand how valuable you are to the king of eternity. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the grass. I care for those things. Those things are valuable to me, so I will definitely care for you. You are valuable to me, too. Has anybody ever rented a rental car before? <laughs> uh, this last fall, Emily and I went up to the Sierra Nevada Mountains in, in California on one of our uh, national park trips, and, and we rented a little uh, Mitsubishi Outlander. Uh, the, the rental place had sold out of everything else. And we're like, would this work? And we're like, well, I guess it's going to have to. So we get in this little Mitsubishi Outlander and, and in L.A., and we take off towards the mountains, and we get up in the mountains. And there's this certain, I don't know if you've ever been to the Sierra Nevadas, but if you get up in them, they are steep. They are majestic, just these huge mountain ranges. And we get in this little Mitsubishi, and, and we're going on these hairpin turns. I'm talking about you cannot get 30 miles per hour on this road without flying off of the cliff. 
Like, I'm not even joking. For miles, the fastest you can go is about 25 miles per hour because any other speed is, is not safe enough because they're just so narrow and they just whine so sharply. Um, anyways, we were going up this mountain in this car, and I told Emily, I said, I am so glad we are in a rental car. So glad. I, I will be on, let me be real transparent with you, okay? This, I'm going to tell on myself for a second. Whenever I rent a car, I don't treat it like it's my own. I tend to have a little bit more fun in a rental car. I drive it a little bit harder. I, I push it to its limits sometimes just to see what it's got. You know, it's always fun to drive something that you've never driven, at least for me. It's fun to drive something that I've never driven before. But let me tell you, I was taking those turns like this was a rental car. And whenever we're, you know, at, a, at an intersection or getting onto the interstate, I push the gas like it was a rental car. Why? Because I don't have to pay to replace the brake pads. I don't have to pay to replace the tires. I've got to pay to use the car, but I don't have to pay to maintain it. I know, that's terrible of me. You're like, is this guy even a Christian? Wow. Let me tell you, though, I've got a, a Jeep Wrangler. I treat that thing like a newborn baby. Emily drives a little Hyundai Elantra, and we've, we've got a, a long dirt driveway that is ridiculously rough, and she'll just go down that thing 15 miles an hour, just, I mean, just bouncing everything, everything's rattling, you know, anything that was in the car is up in the air half the time, and I'm in my Jeep Wrangler, built for the off-road, and I'm like, why? Because it's mine, because I own it. I'm going to take care of it. I want it to last a long time. I want to be able to give it to one of my boys whenever they're able to drive one day. I want it, I want it to last, and I enjoy it. It's something that I enjoy driving. I really like my little Jeep. And this is the idea that Jesus is giving us. He's going to take care of you because you are valuable to him, because you belong to him. Because you are his sheep and he is your shepherd, he will take care of you and supply all of your needs. And if we could understand that, then I think we would be more willing to invest in what is eternal. Why? Because I understand that no matter what I do here in this life, God's going to take care of me so I can afford to, to put more of my resources and more of my thoughts and more of my efforts into things that will be eternal. Come on. This is what God tells the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. From who? I advise you to buy gold from who? From Jesus. He's not talking about literal tangible gold. He's talking about put your investments in things that are going to last. Woo! I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Wow! 
Also buy white garments for me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. And an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. And he goes on to say, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent to turn from your indifference. This is what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. Invest in eternal things right now where you are. Because then you will really be rich. We got this idea that we can be worldly rich. And God is looking at our worldly riches and he's like, you don't even realize how wretched and miserable you are. How poor and blind and naked you are. You think you're rich? Wait until you see what I've got here for you. Wait until you see what's in eternity. Wait until you see once you leave this earth and you come into my presence. Listen, church, the Bible tells us that God paves the streets of heaven with gold. Something that we hold up and value and and we get a ring and we put it on our finger because it's a precious metal and and it's so small and pitiful. He's like, you know what? In heaven, you're going to walk on it. You're not going to hold it up and and value it and and put it in a special box and and lock it up and keep it. You're going to be walking on it with your dirty feet. (laughs) I love that idea. He's like, you think you're rich here? You think your investments here are good? (laughs) Come on. Wow. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Wow. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasures a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, church, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Wow. Notice what he tells us. He says this, the the things that you crave here, that's all the world offers you. Notice, it it doesn't even say that the world offers you fulfillment. It just says the world offers you cravings. You can crave any amount of money. You can crave any amount of material possession. You can crave any amount of success or popularity or influence that you want to, but you will leave unfulfilled. There is one way to be fulfilled, and that is to invest in godly things, things that don't fade away. Wow. Here's my last point. If the worship team would come on up this morning. Jesus, in the sermon that he's preaching, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. What if I could tell you with 100% certainty that you could always have everything you need without a shadow of doubt 
there is a way that you could have everything that you need. Jesus tells us right here. How do you get everything you need, church? Let's make some eternal investments. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else. Let me say it again in case you fell asleep in the back. Above all else. Everything. Above everything. Seek the kingdom of God more. Seek it first. Seek it more frequently. Seek it with more passion, with more desire, with more of an urgency. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And there's a promise attached here. And he will give you everything you need. Everything that we have worked so hard for in this world. He will provide. He promises us he will provide. All we have to do is seek his kingdom first. What does that mean? It means I'm going to have to change my heart. Ask yourself, where where is my heart in this? Where is my heart in these things that the world offers? Where is my heart whenever it comes to the church, whenever it comes to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Where is my heart whenever it comes to reaching out to the lost? Where is my heart whenever it comes to getting in the word of God and living righteously? Where is my heart? And then here's the second thing. Where where is my mind? What am I thinking? I've got to change my perspective. I've got to change the way I think about these things. I've got to change the way that I look at eternity. I certainly want to live forever with Jesus in heaven. I hope you do too. And if you do, then listen, our number one goal should be to get out of these doors behind you. Go out there and get everyone that we can and bring them into the kingdom of God through the power of his Holy Spirit. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek seek most the kingdom of God and he will give you everything you need. He will it says and he will give. Sometimes it helps me to break a verse apart by different words. He, God will certainly give. You don't have to earn everything not just some things you need. Everything you need. He is so good. So I want to ask you this tonight. Why not try it? Come on. Why not try to invest in the kingdom of God and in eternal things? Malachi chapter 3. This is the last portion of scripture I want to share. God is talking to his prophet Malachi, to his people Israel, his chosen people. And he says this in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, here's the promise, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it! Put 
me to the test. Woo! Come on. Your crops will be abundant. Why? Because I'm going to bless them. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Y'all, this is good. God is telling his people, there is a principle, the principle of tithing. We still follow it today in this church. Can I be honest with you? I, as a pastor, I'm not your senior pastor. Brother Billy's not up here trying to, to ask you for anything. I, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. Take my word or leave it. It doesn't matter. It's whatever. Listen, if you claim to be a believer and you don't tithe, what you are really telling yourself is I don't trust you. How can you say, I believe, if at the same time, in your heart, you don't know that you can trust? This is what God is saying right here. Try it. Put me to the test. Do you want to see if this works? Do you want to see if I can bless you? Do you want to see how abundant things can be in your home and in your family and in your relationships and at your work and with, with the things that you own and the things that you do? You want to see if I can bless them? Go ahead, put me to the test. I love this. This, this is God's way of saying, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Christmas Story. This is God's way of saying, I double dog dare you. Try it's almost like he gives us this idea of, go ahead and try it. If it doesn't work, give you your money back. I don't know. <laughs> but, the, but the principle is this. Try it, and you won't have to wish that you didn't. Because I will bless. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. Church, we, as believers, should put our minds more on eternal things to put our lives in the hands of God and say, God, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my career. I trust you with this decision that my family has to make. I trust you with my relationship that seems to be falling apart. I trust you with my bank account. I trust you with my home. I trust you with everything around me. Because I believe in the reason why God commands his people to tithe is because it forces you to have to depend on him. Whether you've got a little bit of money or whether you've got stacks of money, even 10%. If you've got a little bit of money, you might be thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to buy food next year. If you've got stacks of money, you may be saying, well, 10%, that's that's a significant amount of wealth. I don't know if I can. This is what he says. Try it. Just try it. Try investing in eternal things. Try investing in eternal things. And I will show you just how big of a return you're going to get. And listen, he may not. I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm preaching. If you give your tithe, that God is going to make your bank account fat. 
might, you might tithe and God might bless you in a relationship problem that you're having. You might tithe and, and God creates an opportunity for you. I don't know. But the promise is there, the principle is there. That if you invest in eternal things, there is going to be a reward, not just in this life, but in heaven to come. Father, I pray that we as your people would be convinced to trust you. <laughs> Lord, we have this idea that faith has to be something that's just blind and irrational, God, but you say in your word that we can look back on your track record, the things that you have done, and be reminded, God, that you have done good then and you can do good now. Lord, it's not irrational of us. It's not illogical of us to put our trust, our faith, our hope, and our dependence on you because you have a track record of doing what is good. You have a track record of doing what is right. And God, we can put every ounce of our belief and trust in you because we know that you are a God who can bless. You are a God who can redeem. You are a God who can heal. You are a God who can restore. And Lord, I pray that even if, like Abraham, that we don't see those blessings on this side of eternity, that we would still be able to live in faith knowing that our real home, our real inheritance, the best of what you have to offer is not just your Holy Spirit inside of you here, but me also being able to live for eternity in your presence there. God, help us to change our minds. Help us to change our hearts. And help us to increase our faith. Because I know that if we do, we will see you win. In Jesus' name.